Welcome to the Mission Connect podcast, a podcast all about ordinary people doing extraordinary things to fulfill the great commission of Jesus. Our goal is to help you connect with God's mission for your life. So get ready to be inspired, challenged, and move to fulfill your mission. And now here's your host, Finu Ike. Hello and welcome to the Mission Connect podcast. Friends, my name is Fanu Ipe and I'm excited that you have chosen to join us for this episode of the podcast. Uh, this podcast really talks about how do you connect with God's mission for your life. So often uh, we wonder, God, what is your purpose for my life? What is the destiny of God for my life? How can I fulfill God's mission in and through my life? And so that's what this podcast talks about. And uh, we actually have a special guest with us today, Dr. Kevin Harney, all the way from California. Uh, He pastors a church called Shoreline Church, and he's the uh, leader, founder and leader of Organic Outreach International. Friends, uh, I'm just super thrilled that uh, he's on the podcast with us. I'm going to have you listen to my conversation with him in just a moment or two. But before that, I want to remind you that Go Conference 2018 is just a couple of days away. If you're listening to this podcast before the 26th and the 27th of October, you still have time to register for the conference. We've got over 2,000 people from across the greater Toronto area that are coming to the conference this year. I don't want you to miss out. Head to goconference.ca and reserve your tickets today. I believe it's going to be a life-changing time that we're going to have over those two days being equipped on how to share our faith effectively. Uh, Listen, Kevin Harney will be speaking in person uh, at Go Conference this year. So please ensure that you get your tickets. And if you've gotten your tickets already, please share this with other believers that you know so they can also attend the conference and be equipped to be effective evangelists and witnesses of Jesus. Friends, Kevin Harney is literally, he is influencing churches all over the world, churches, denominations, and movements. Uh, They're embracing what he calls organic outreach. This idea that everything doesn't have to be programmed. It doesn't always have to be evangelistic or outreach events that happen in a church. Those are okay to have, but really every Christian is called to organically reach people, naturally reach people in the course of their everyday life. And Kevin's book have, have books have gone all over the world, and um, he's a coach and a mentor to so many church leaders around the world. So I'm just thrilled that he uh, was able to sit down with me and have this conversation on how he came to faith in Christ and what organic outreach is all about. So listen to my conversation with Dr. Kevin Harney. And I'm excited to have Kevin Harney on Mission Connect podcast. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to be with you. Uh, Kevin, listen, I am, um, if I can use the word in the Christian context, a fan of, uh, of your ministry, of you. I've heard you speak uh, multiple times at Amplify. Uh, our team actually has gone through your book, uh, Organic Outreach for Ordinary People and Churches. We've actually helped churches go through it, help leadership teams implement it in their churches. Uh, so just love what God is doing through you and the influence you've had. Uh, I believe at this point around the world uh, in this whole area of uh, equipping people to reach others. But I always like to start the podcast asking our guests, what was the moment when you made that commitment to Christ? Uh, what's, what was the, you know, what's your background? How did you come to that moment of faith in Jesus? Yeah. yeah. Well, I grew up in a, in a family. Uh, what, I, what I describe my family, I grew up in a, as, a, as a healthy, loving pagan home. 
so, uh, and so uh, my dad and my mom loved each other. Uh, my, uh, my, I did their 50th renewal of vows. They, they were high school sweethearts. Wow. Uh, they fell in love. They were faithful to each other. I, I was, I did my mom's funeral about nine years ago. So I lost her, mm-hmm. but watch, I grew up in this home where my parents loved each other. They were uh, very, both very bright people. My mom was a math and science teacher. My mom, my dad was a computer graphics designer from the very beginning of the, of the world of computers. And so, wow. um, I grew up in an intellectual, uh, loving atheistic home. Hmm. And uh, I didn't know Christmas and Easter had any spiritual meaning. I honestly had no idea until I became a Christian. And I, then I was like, wow, this is cool. This is, has to do with Jesus. <laughs> and so, um, so a, a local church in the area that I lived, uh, reached out to my sister one year older than me. And she came to know Jesus. She began to reach out to me, pray for me, love me. Uh, my sister's not an evangelist, painfully shy. I mean, just right. a group of three people, she won't talk. A group of uh, one, one person, she'll talk a little bit. But she boldly, in her own way, shared Jesus with me and invited me to her church. And uh, I went to her church uh, because uh, uh, there were girls there, and they had a gambling night, and they had a casino night. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I met a cute blonde, kept going to the church to hang out with a cute blonde. And then they had a, a, a week away in Sacramento water skiing. And I thought that sounded like fun. I did that. Right. And while I was on this houseboat, they had me, it was funny. Uh, they had me trapped for a week. You know, you're in the water and you can't get away. And so every morning they'd sing songs and read the Bible. And every night they'd sing songs and read the Bible. And I just wanted to water ski and hang out with my girlfriend. Right. But, uh, but God, by his grace, just the message Every day, people were sharing their testimony that they knew Jesus, they loved Jesus. This this was real, and they shared the simple story of the gospel. Now, I hadn't uh, at this point, I'd never held a Bible in my hands. I didn't grow up with Bible. I, I didn't know the story of David and Goliath. I knew nothing from the Bible. Wow! But I heard the story of Jesus, mm. and it was compelling. And I remember that that night, the it was funny because there was only two people on the houseboat that weren't Christians. That was me and my girlfriend. But that night, they shared the gospel, and then the guy who was leading says, "Let's all bow our heads." And he says, uh, if there's anyone here tonight that might not yet know Jesus, and I want to say, excuse me, it's just me and my girlfriend. We all know this, you know, come on. Right. But he's like, if there might be anyone who doesn't know Jesus, uh, and, and he gave an invitation to respond to the gospel, to confess sin, to take the hand of Jesus and walk with him in a new relationship and a new life. And yeah. I remember my prayer. Uh, it wasn't really theologically deep. I, I just said, God, I don't know if you're real. And Jesus, I don't know if what you what they tell me you did, I don't know if you even did it. If you died on the cross and rose again and paid for my sins. I don't even know if it's true. But Jesus, if you lived and if you died and if you rose again and if you love me and if you want my life, if you want me, you can have me. That was my prayer. And, and all I can tell you is at that moment, the very spirit of God moved into my heart. Hmm. My, my sins were, I felt a weight of eternity lifted from my shoulders. My, my life changed. Wow. And that night... Uh, it was funny because we were in these houseboats, which meant they were they, the roofs were flat, and they put all the boy all the boys sleeping on the roof. I was 16 years old. They put all the boys sleeping on the roof in sleeping bags, and the girls they locked inside the houseboats to keep away from the boys because we were in close proximity. Right. And um, and so I'm laying on the roof of this houseboat, and I looked up at the sky, and I said, and I said, God, it's like my second prayer. I said, God, okay, now I'm a Christian. What do I do? Right. What, what do I do now? And, and as clearly as I can hear you uh, from Canada talking to me through our computers, you know, I mean, as, clear, as clearly as I can hear you, I heard God say, spend the rest of your life telling people about Jesus or you'll be miserable. Wow. And it was that clear. And, and I'm 16. I don't know everything, but I know I don't want to be miserable. So I said, okay, I'll be a pastor. 
And so I'd been a Christian for about, uh, about an hour and a half. And I felt a call to be a, a pastor. So, uh, so the next morning, I climbed down off the roof of the, there, down the ladder off the roof of the houseboat. And I found the youth leader who was on, that, on the trip with us. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do I have to do to become a pastor? What, what do I got to do to become a pastor? I'm 16. And he goes, he says, dude, you've been a Christian for like eight hours. Right. <laughs> he said, you know, what, what do you mean? I said, I said, I have to be a pastor. That's what God told me. Wow. And, and so he said to me, he said to me, get a haircut. <laughs> I had hair like down in the middle of my back. Okay. And uh, I, was a, I was a surf kid from Huntington Beach. And, and uh, he said, get a haircut. And I said, seriously, I got to cut my hair. He said, no, I'm just joking. But he says, you should probably graduate from high school. I had a 0.75. I had an F average. I was, I was, if there was waves, I was surfing. I didn't go to school when I didn't want to. I was just a, I was a punk. I was a, um, I was just a self-centered kid. And uh, he said, you should probably graduate from high school. And then he gave me a Bible. And he said, you're supposed to read this. And that was my discipleship training, graduate from high school and read the Bible. So that's, so that was my journey. And I, I told my dad when I got home, dad, I'm going to be a pastor. And he said, you'll get over it. Right. And I said, no, I'm serious. I'm going to be a pastor. And he said, well, there's no money in it. Right. And I said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be a pastor. And he, um, he struggled with that for a couple of years till he realized that there was no uh, talking me out of it. And then he just said, well, you know, I guess it's a way you can help people. So it's altruistic and kind. I guess that's okay. And, Right. And so that, that's kind of my conversion journey. Wow, that's, uh, that's fascinating. You know, I, I, as you were sharing about uh, the home you grew up in, I think one of the misconceptions that we have in a North American or maybe Western context is we assume that people know. Meaning a lot of times I think we don't even bother to verbally communicate the gospel because we're like, well, I'm sure they've heard the God. I'm sure they know who Jesus is. Come on. Like who could live in North America and not know Christ, you know? And yet, you know, there are families like your family or young people like yourself um, when you were, you know, in your teenage years and didn't really know Jesus. And uh, I think that's just such a reality of our culture. And uh and a misconception that a lot of Christians have that, yeah. uh, that in this part of the world, everybody must know, like, come on, yeah. they must know. And so yeah. uh, that's awesome. And yeah, that is definitely the fastest call to ministry that I have heard from any guest <laughs> on this podcast. So that's, well, that's incredible. And, and I, I, grew, I grew up in a post-Christian home and, and I didn't know anybody in my neighborhood that went to church. Uh, and so where, where I pastor now in Monterey, it's the 14th most unchurched county in the United States of America. And so I'm in a radically post-Christian area. I feel right at home. Uh, I interact with a lot of non-believers and I, I'm comfortable with non-believers. And, and I believe that most of them, if they could hear the good news of Jesus in a way that made sense, they would be curious at least. Right. And in many cases open if, if we would just share with them. Right. Wow. So you got into ministry, you wanted to be a pastor. Now, this is interesting because when you talk about being a pastor, generally that's a shepherd. That's someone that, you know, counsels, does hospital visits, marriage counseling, just loves on people. Uh, So talk to us about being a pastor, but where did this hunger and this desire and this passion to see people come to faith in Christ, how did that happen uh, for you? Yeah, the call to be a pastor, I think that was because I didn't, that was the only religious position in the church I knew about. Um, I didn't, I had no idea what a pastor actually did. Okay. Um, and I started, I started right away. I volunteered at the church I, that I was, I, I was connected with. Mm-hmm. And before I knew it, I was probably 20, 25 hours a week as a volunteer, um, part of the youth ministry, part of the church, and just started serving. And they kept giving me more responsibility and I just kept eating it up. And, mm. and, and then also when I became a Christian and, you know, and studies would show that about three to 4% of Christians 
have the calling of an evangelist or have, have a unique, uh, you know, and naturally do evangelism. The other 96% uh, are called to be salt and light and are called to share their faith, but it doesn't come as naturally. They have to be more intentional. Well, I'm one of those three to 4% that within, you know, within two months, everybody I knew that was not a Christian had heard about Jesus. And, uh, and I probably, you know, I write about organic outreach. I probably wasn't as organic as I probably could have been, uh, <laughs> but I was passionate right. and I, I loved, I loved my friends. I wanted them to know about Jesus. And a bunch of my friends became Christians and the ones that didn't um, over time, they kind of either became a Christian or, or would kind of start to pull away over time because this was my heart. This was my life. I wouldn't do the same stuff I did before. I wasn't engaged in the same behaviors and activities. Right. Um, and, and what was really, it's funny, my evangelism training uh, was when this guy named Doug Drainville, he gave me a Bible. He gave me the Revised Standard Version of uh, Harper Study Bible, Study Notes by Harold Lenzel. Okay. And uh, that was, it was a hardback, the thickest book I'd ever held in my hands. Right. And um, he gave me the Study Bible, and uh, I, he said, you're supposed to read this. That's what Christians do. Mm. And so about two months, two and a half months later, I went back to him and I said, okay, what do I read next? And he said, well, how far did you get? And I said, I'm done. And I said, I finished the whole, and I saw all those little notes at the bottom. I know that the, the, big, the, the, the bigger print is the Bible, and then the notes at the bottom are all about history and background. So I said, I read it all. What's the, what's the next book? Wow. And he said, you seriously read it all? I said, yeah. And, and he talked me through. I showed him my Bible, and I'd taken notes all the way through. I, I actually had, a, I had on my wall in my bedroom, I had a graph that I made of all the kings of the northern and the southern kingdoms. Uh, because it was all confusing. And the only way I could do it is I made like all the Northern Kings were in yellow, all the Southern Kings were in orange and then the other Kings and then the prophets. And I had these diagrams trying to figure out how the whole story fit together. Cause he told me this was God's word. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to understand yeah. it. Right. Yeah. I told, I told my mom that summer, I said, um, and this is before cell phones. So I said, if my friends come to the door and knock on the door, if they call, tell them I'm not coming out till noon. So I'd wake up at about seven o'clock and I'd read the Bible till noon Wow. And, uh, and so I finished it. And then I said, what do I do next? And he says, well, we, we only have one book. He said, so he said, he said, read it again. You know, he said, just read it again. So I did. I said, and I've been doing that now for 40 years. That's uh, incredible. But, now, were you much of a reader when you were in school? Like, were you? Well, here's the thing. I read nothing for school and I read everything outside of school. So I read okay. uh, Heinlein and Bradbury as science fiction. I read Edgar Rice Burroughs. I read, I read tons, okay. uh, but I never read my assignments for school. I didn't care right. about that. Uh, and so I loved, I, I, I've always been a, a thinker and a, and a reader, but, but you know what, my training in evangelism before anybody um, told me how to do outreach, I just watched Jesus. Mm. Um, I just read Jesus's life and I saw, I saw his love for the broken, his love for the outcast and how he would go to people who nobody else would talk to and nobody else would touch. And he just loved them and he, and he shared with them and he, and he would be, he would, he would speak the truth with conviction. I love John 3 and 4, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, because so much truth and, and conviction, but so much graciousness and kindness. And I just, so I just tried to do what Jesus, what I saw Jesus doing, because I thought that's what a Christian is supposed to do. And I found out over time that that is what a Christian is supposed to do. That's right. uh, and, so, um, and so that was my training. And, th and then once I discovered that there was equipping opportunities. I've gone to, I, I went to Florida and got trained by James Kennedy and evangelism explosion. Right. And I read everything I can find. I mean, I love every evangelism tool and book I can find. I just, I just kind of learn and keep adding tools to the toolbox. So, so tell, talk to us about your experience. I, I think I remember you sharing about being in Michigan. I think it was, and you're yeah. pastoring a church and uh, uh, you know, you have this heart to, 
uh, mobilize the church, move the church. And this is something, Kevin, that I just love about you, admire about your ministry. You're not just, you know, talking about, hey, how can I go in and reach a thousand people or do a crusade somewhere and see a bunch of people saved, which is awesome if that happens. But I want to mobilize the church. I want to move the average believer, the 96% that don't feel like they're necessarily gifted in evangelism, but I want to move them towards living out their faith uh, practically and sharing their faith. So talk to us about that, uh, about what it was like uh, being a pastor of a church and wanting to mobilize people. Yeah, so the first church that wanted, wanted to call me as a senior pastor, where I could actually, you know, with, with the leading of the Holy Spirit, try to set direction for a church, uh, was a small country church of about 200 people, and over 100 of them were part of three families. The Burgesses, the Shoemakers, and the Heisingas made up half the church. And so God called me to go there, but when they came and asked me, I said, um, I said, are you committed to reach your community with the gospel? Will you let me teach you how to do that? Right. And, and they said, that's what we want to do. That's, we, we want you to come because we want to share the love of Jesus with our community, but we don't know how to do it. And I said, well, if you promise you'll do that, I said, because here's the thing, if you call me and you push back, I said, we will lock horns and I will push you till I die. I told him that. I said, you, you don't want me to be your pastor if you're not ready to go on this mission together. And they said, that's what we want. And I believed them. And, and sometimes churches say that and they're lying. You know, <laughs> sometimes churches say that and they, they really don't mean it. But this church meant it. And so um, we went on a journey where you know, in the first year and a half, the church doubled. And, uh, and that was mostly people that didn't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. So they just messed this church up because they'd been there for 100 years they hadn't changed their order of service or anything for a hundred years. And new people mess churches up, man. New people, non-believers who come in, it, I mean, mess up in the sense it gets messy. It gets yeah. challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, when the church doubled, people started saying, we should plant a new church and send all the new people away. <laughs> and I said, no, it's not, we're not going to do that. We're going to learn to be the church together. And then the church doubled again. And they kind of started realizing, okay, this is a work of the Lord. And But here's the thing, you know, with the new, the new believers, you know, every year there might be one or two or three or four new believers that I'd reached out to, mm-hmm. but the other, the other dozens and dozens or 50, 60 or a hundred, they were people that people in the church loved and prayed for and shared their faith with. And so, so we just, we, we put outreach in the center of every ministry of the church. We said, okay, children's ministry is outreach and women's ministry is outreach and men's ministry is outreach and, and youth ministry is outreach. And our deacon board is outreach and our elder board is outreach. And, and we just, we just infused outreach into everything. We started equipping all of our people because that's what churches are supposed to do. That's right. And, uh, and when you do that, it's amazing because, uh, people, when they get that vision and hear this, hear the teaching of scripture and, and feel the heart of Jesus and start to pray and love and serve and articulate their faith in their own way that not, not forcing it on people, but, but, Always learning that you have to speak the words of faith. You can't just, your life, here's the reality. Your life's not good enough and neither is mine to lead people to Jesus. We have to speak. And so, so I watched this, this church just blossom. Uh, it, it went from about 200 people to about 2,000 people uh, over the course of the next dozen years. Wow. And, uh, and when God called me away from there, they've continued to be an evangelistically passionate, growing, healthy uh, regional church. And it started as a tiny little country church. And so um, I found out that if people will really be willing to follow the scriptures and follow the call of Jesus and, and get past their fears, because people are terrified to share their faith. That's right. But, um, but if they're willing to do that, I believe that any church 
filled with people who believe the Bible, who love Jesus and have a heart for the world, they can reach people and see their church transformed. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, that every church, the church of 20 is going to become a church of 500. They might become a church of 80, right. but they're going to see people come to know Jesus and God blesses that. So talk to us, break it down a little bit for us to say, okay, let's take a church that hasn't done this forever. They just have not, they have their programs, they have the way they do services, you know, it's pretty traditional. They've been, you know, operating a certain way for so long. And, um, and there's people around them and there's people moving into the area. Like we live in Toronto, Kevin, and they say a hundred thousand people come into the city of Toronto every year. I just did the stats. I just looked up the stats because I was doing a video for Go Conference. Um, 2.7 million people who live in the greater Toronto area were not born in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, so take that for instance. So you're a very, um, uh, you know, small church, but similar kind of people and a similar kind of tradition. There's different kinds of people moving in around the church. The community is growing. How do you take a church like that and what are the things you talk about to help people see the opportunity? Like Jesus says to his disciples, look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Yeah. What do you say to them to, to, to want to move them? Listen, I've had people say to me, Fanu, this is your call. You're an evangelist. We'll support you. But, but we're not called to, like our church is not designed for this. And, and a lot of churches say that. I don't know if you've heard it, but they say, well, see, Every church they say is good for one or one thing or the other. We're a worship church. You know, we're a preaching church. We're a, you know, women's ministry church, whatever it is. We're a social church, which is not an evangelistic church. That's just not our thing. We're not called to that. Uh, yeah. What do you say to that church? I say that's unbiblical, unbiblical, ungodly, and breaks the heart of Jesus. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and, and, and I, it's unbiblical because Jesus called us all salt and light. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Jesus said, um, he said, I'm sending you. This is, this is the call of every Christian. And so it's, that's unbiblical. It's ungodly because the heart of God breaks for the lost. Uh, you know, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and mm-hmm. sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what the scriptures teach us. And so, uh, and, and it's just, um, it's painfully self-centered because we start to believe the church exists for us and it exists for the glory of God. And, and few things glorify God more than people coming into his kingdom. And so uh, what, Fanu, what I tell people is I tell people that church exists for three things and only three things. Mm-hmm. It exists to glorify God in worship. Mm-hmm. It exists to grow believers into full maturity mm-hmm. and it exists to reach the world with the good news. And you are not a biblical church if you're not doing all three of those. Now here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. You show me one church that says we're a church and they never worship. Right. You can't find them. Every, and, and if a church is going through turmoil and struggles, they don't stop having worship services. They, they're going to keep worshiping because that's what the church does. Tell me one church that says we do nothing to grow believers. We're not going to do children's ministry or youth ministry or small groups. We're going to do nothing to grow, no Sunday school. We just don't ever do anything to grow believers. You will not find a single church that isn't trying to grow believers. But if I said to you, show me a church that doesn't intentionally in a focused way do evangelism, that's the majority of churches. That's right. And so these three things that we're called to do and be, uh, almost every church is worshiping, discipling, trying to grow believers. But if things are tough or we go low on budget or we're between pastors, we'll put evangelism, we'll put outreach on the back burner until everything's nice and smooth. You can't do that. 
it has to be it has to be on the front burner of of what we do. And so I talk with I talk with leaders around the world and from different you know, denominational leaders and denominational groups, and and I'll, I basically say it's not an option to not be intentional about evangelism. I mean, was, what do you mean it's not an option? We're not doing it, so it is an option. Well, it should it shouldn't be an option. Right. Uh, it it breaks the heart of God, and so. You know, I so, so I came into this small country church, and they said they wanted to reach out. But here's the thing: many of them wanted to reach out, but they didn't want their church to change. Right, and, and that's a big one. That, you yeah. can't reach new people and not be changed. That's right. And what you have to decide, and, and here's what I ask people: is I say, will you give up what you love for people that Jesus loves? Amazing. Yeah. You know, will you give up what you love, the style of music you love, the style of services you love, what makes you comfortable? Will you give up what you love? for people that Jesus loves. And really what, what it is, when we do that, what it is, is it's fulfilling the call of Jesus to take up the cross and to follow him. Jesus said, die for me, be crucified, uh, allow yourself to die, allow your, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And, and so when I went to this church, this small country church in West Michigan that was 100 years old, the Sunday I came was their 100-year anniversary, and they had not changed the order of service for 100 years. I went back and did the research. They kept the, they started with votum, then sentences. They still use Latin terms in their description of their order. It was just locked in for 100 years. And, uh, and we said, listen, we're going to give up anything we have to give up except for the word of God and biblical doctrine. We'll give everything else up for the sake of reaching the lost. And, and they counted the cost with tears. And people lost things that they loved, but they, they, they gained brothers and sisters for eternity. And we have to decide, will we count the cost? And that's what people have to do is they say, I will lay myself down. I will take up the cross. I will follow Jesus. And that's, it sounds like dying because that's exactly what it is. Yeah. That's what we're called to do. Um, Kevin, one of the things that I think is beautiful about organic outreach and the whole concept of what you teach is that it is applicable outside of the church context. That's the whole point, right? Is that what, what you're teaching people to do, you know, because a lot of people are like, listen, in fact, I heard someone say this the other day. They said, you know what? I can't speak and I can't play an acoustic guitar, so God can't use me. Right. And that's not true. In fact, what we do in church is just a couple of things, a couple of tasks that need to be done. Someone needs to speak, someone needs to lead worship, you know, someone's going to teach Sunday school, etc. But if you have a couple of hundred people, there's only going to be what a dozen or so people that are involved. And if that's the case, then 99% of people in the church have nothing to do. And yet we're all called. So I love that. It's, it's to engage every believer, wherever God's placed them. So could you just take a moment uh, to talk about, or talk to, I should say, people that are in the marketplace? You know, this podcast, part of the whole idea of Mission Connect is that God has a mission for you wherever he's placed you, whatever field uh, you're involved in outside of the Sunday morning context, God has a mission for you. And we're talking here specifically that (laughs) primarily God's mission is that you live out your faith and reach people for Christ. So how would you encourage, coach someone in business, someone in media, someone in the secular world, the marketplace to be salt and light and to share their faith effectively? Yeah. Well, lots, lots and lots of ways. I've written three books on it, so <laughs> I could go on a, a long, long time. But, you know, I would say, so I'm, I'm not just, I, I lead this international organization, Organic Outreach International, but I'm a local church pastor and I'm a pastor first. And so I have a board and my board is made up of, my board is made up of doctors, of finance, people in finance, of people in agriculture and farming, 
of, uh, of you know, homeschool moms of, uh, I mean, you, you, you name the, it just fr from the most simple, humble of roles in life to the most uh, exotic, it's, it's there. And every, every month I gather with this team of people and I'm called to lead them. And so when I first came to the church, uh, and, and so, so if I think about people in the marketplace, the people I interact with who are, are leaders in our church as volunteers, they're, they're military leaders, um, wow. leaders in athletics. I mean, they're just, they're just out there in the world. And so when I first came to the church, I told, I told a couple of the leaders, here's what I'm going to do uh, at our monthly board meetings. We're going to spend a half an hour talking about evangelism, praying about evangelism. I'll train them in evangelism. I do four things every time we meet try to inspire them for evangelism, keep them accountable for evangelism, teach them something new about evangelism, and then we plan what we're going to do to reach out. Wow. Every 30 days, every time we meet, until Jesus returns, we're going to do this. And they know that. Hmm. And so I had a couple of leaders say to me, well, if you do that with our board, some of them are going to quit. Right. Because they were brought in because they're financial people and they have a certain leadership gifting, but you can't pressure them. Uh, basically, you can't pressure them to live like Jesus called them to live. That's what they said to me. And I said, well, if somebody quits the board because I'm calling them to live like Jesus, then they shouldn't be on the board. But here's the amazing thing. In the next five or six months after I started raising the bar at that level, um, I had board members coming to me saying, can I have a conversation with you privately? And they'd pull me aside and they weren't quitting. Here's what they were saying. They were saying, thank you. Mm. are challenging me to be in the scriptures, to grow in my faith, to live for Jesus, to share my faith, to be a witness, to pray for the lost, to pray with people that aren't Christians in my work context, and in my home, and in my, and in my neighborhood. And they, one by one, they came and started thanking me, and it changed the whole culture of our, of our gatherings. And actually, about once a year, because every time we meet and we start sharing stories about who we're praying for and reaching out to— uh, after about a half an hour, I say, okay, we got other business we have to get to because they get really excited about it now. Right. And uh, once a year, I'll just say, hey, tonight, let's just share stories and we'll go for three hours. Uh, and I won't share a single story. They all share stories of who they're praying for, who they've seen come to know Jesus, who they're reaching out to, who they, and, and, and it's transformed their lives. And so for marketplace leaders, sometimes we're afraid, what if we challenge them or what if we make them feel uncomfortable? You know what? Most people, they want, they want something in, in life worth living for and worth dying for. And I believe Jesus is exactly that. And so when we really bring that vision with clarity and we teach and challenge people, uh, they respond. And here's the thing. Every 30 days, uh, they get a, just a little time of teaching or training and how to share their faith more effectively. So after, after three years being on our board, and we allow people to be three years on, and then they can up for three more years. Mm -hmm. After six years of being on our board, Okay, you got 12 months times six. You're talking about 72 teaching experiences of how to share their faith. They're wow. equipped. And we do the same thing with every leader in our children's area, every leader in our youth area. Every 30 days till Jesus returns, we inspire them for outreach. We keep them accountable to outreach. We train them for outreach. And we plan what's next for outreach for their lives and for our ministry. And so um, you know, I believe a, a church is built on the gifts of God's people, not on pastors. It's built on the, 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 the word of God and the work of the spirit. But the strength of the church is all of God's ministers. And every Christian is a minister. We're, all, we're a priesthood of all believers. And so we have to equip and train our people. And I'm not afraid to challenge our leaders and our, our volunteers and say, this is part of who, it, who we are as Christians. And what's amazing is people are hungry for that. Your people that are Christians, they, they're terrified I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. They're terrified to be pushed into that. But once they start doing it, it's transformational for them and for their workplace, for their home, for their neighborhood, for their social settings. They become salt and light. And if you're not an evangelist, you're probably not going to, if you don't have that gifting and calling, 
uh, you're not going to say, oh, I'm now going to leave my work and go to the, the work of evangelism. But we want them to stay in the marketplace, That's to really stay true. in the educational world. That's right. And, and be Christ people there. Uh, you know, I've heard this quote. I'm sure you've heard it too. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Do you have so any thoughts on that? Uh... It's quote in Christianity. <laughs> you can quote me on that. It, it is. I, I know that. Tell me why. Because, well, first of all, people will often say that St. Francis said that and St. Francis didn't say it. Okay. Um, he was part of a preaching order. He believed in declaration. Mm. Um but uh, it, it's, it's wrong, and, and a friend of mine, Ed Stetzer, uh, coined a line that I really love. He said, telling people to share the gospel at all times and when necessary use words is like saying feed the hungry at all times and when necessary use food. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, That's a good it's, one. Like it's, it's always necessary to use food when you feed the hungry, and it's always right. necessary to use words when we proclaim Jesus. Your faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and how will they hear if someone will not proclaim or declare? Mm-hmm. We have to put it into words. Now, there's lots of things. We need to love people. We need to serve people. Acts of compassion, mercy, justice. Now, we better live out what we say we believe. And so our lives need to, need to proclaim the gospel in a certain way. But here's the problem with believing, I think, a lie that we can proclaim Jesus without words. What we're claiming is, and I think, I mean, think about this for a minute, and then your listeners on the podcast, I want you to think about this. When we say, I'm going to share the gospel, but I'm not going to use words. Here's what we're saying. My life is so good, mm-hmm. and my character is so pure, and my witness is so glorious, that when people look at me, they will become aware of their own sin and depravity. When people look at my glorious life, they will understand that they're lost because of their sin. When they look at me, they will understand that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh just by looking at my wonderful life. Right. And by looking at me, they will discover that they need to confess their sins and come to the cross. They're going to discover that Christ rose from the dead because of my life. I'm sorry, I'm not that good. And you're not that good. And nobody except for Jesus is that good. And guess what? Jesus declared to Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's right. Jesus said to the woman at the well, I who am speaking to you, I am he. She's waiting for the Messiah. I am. Jesus put it in words. Think about the arrogance to say, my life will be so good that people will come to know Jesus just by looking at me. It's it's ridiculous at best and arrogant at worst. And so we live lives of compassion and we serve people and we help people and and we do acts of justice and all of those are part of the heart of Jesus. But but we have to speak the word. We have to tell our story of faith and his story and his, his life, death, and resurrection and the hope of the gospel. And if we don't put it into words, I'm sorry, nobody's going to get it just by looking at you or me or anybody else. Wow. That's powerful. Uh, Kevin, we're almost out of time, but do you have a couple of stories maybe that you can share uh, just to encourage our listeners, uh, just practical things? I know uh, times that I've heard you speak and I've been in trainings with you, uh, and I love this about you, by the way, that uh, you, you, you do this without necessarily throwing around the title of pastor. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm in ministry, I'm a pastor, I work with multiple churches. It's an, sometimes it's an easy in actually to start sharing the gospel by saying, oh, I'm a pastor. And then they're like, oh, really, what does that mean? And then obviously you get an in to share the gospel. But the average person in business or the marketplace doesn't really get that opportunity uh, to do that. They've got to find a segue 
to to share the gospel. So uh, personal stories, stories from people that you work with, uh, just to encourage people that are listening on just organic outreach. Yeah. Well, I'll share, I'll share one concept and, and a, a couple of stories with it. And then one, just one story to finish up. Sure. Um, one of the things that I teach people and it'll, some people do this naturally, but most people don't, but I teach people to pray with non-believers mm. and to do it often. And I have people say, what do you mean? Pray? How do you pray with a non-believer? Well, I, I honestly, I've asked non-believers, can I take a moment and pray with you right now? Not pray for you later, pray right now. Mm-hmm. Thousands of times in the last 40 years since I've become a Christian, thousands of times, three times I've had somebody tell me no. And you know, all three said, no, thank you. <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't that painful, you know? Right. Um, but I, I sat with, with an atheistic, communistic humanist who ran a camp to keep young people from becoming Christians in former East Germany, all right? All right. Uh, Ancha Lutke is her name. And uh, after two hours on a plane with her, um, I said, Ancha, uh, I would love to pray for you. You seem like a seeker of truth. And, uh, and you, you're so passionate. And I actually told her in our conversation, I said, Ancha, um, I see a lot of Jesus in you. And she didn't take offense at that. She said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you love people so deeply and you care about the outcast." And she says, oh, I do. And I said, do you know how much Jesus cared about the outcasts? I said, have you ever heard the story of Jesus? And she was an atheist mm-hmm. who hated Christians but had never read the Bible. Right. So I said, can I read some of the things that Jesus did and said? And, and you can decide if, if I'm right that you're kind of like him. And she said, sure. And I got my Bible out from the overhead, and I, I read some passages. And she was, fasc- she was fascinated by Jesus. And I, at the end of the time, I said, Ancha, can I just say a prayer for you? And she said, I'd like that. Right. This is an atheistic, communistic humanist who ran a camp to keep young people from becoming Christians. And she let me pray for her. And I said to her as we got off the plane, I said, Ancha, I don't, I don't think you probably got on this plane thinking you were going to make friends with a pastor. And she said, no. She said, I, I didn't think I'd ever be friends with a pastor. She invited me and my family to her home. And she said, if, wow. you're, ever in, if you're ever in East Germany, come stay with me. I'd love to meet your wife and your children. And it's um, amazing. And so, so what I discovered is that when a person – comes to you and they share an incredible joy. I, I, I just got a promotion. I just got, I just became a grandparent. I just found out I'm pregnant, whatever it is. Um, if you look at them as a Christian, if you say, man, that is so exciting. You know, this might seem really weird. Okay. But I'm, I believe in the power of prayer. I actually talked to God. I'm a Christian. I'd be so honored if you'd let me pray for you as you're becoming a, you found out you're pregnant as you're becoming a mom for the first time. Right. It would be an honor if I could just take a moment and pray for you. Would that be okay? Mm the vast majority of people say, well, yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. The first time I asked my dad, can I pray for you? He said, couldn't hurt. You know, he's like, you know, okay, give it a try. Why not? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and so, uh, and and then if somebody shares a deep pain or loss or loneliness or sorrow or fear, uh, man, how can we not say, can I say a word of prayer for you? Right. And, and, and if a person doesn't want that, they'll say, oh, no, that's not my thing or no thanks. But the vast majority of people are fine with it. And here's what I find out is when you begin to pray, you know, we always want to get people to come to church and that's a good thing. But man, when you pray with someone, you bring Jesus right where they are. Right. And so I, I'd say a third to half the people I pray with that aren't believers, when I say amen, there's tears running down their face. And it's not because of my prayer. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. They feel something. And we, t- we could talk about that then. And so I think if we will just step into um, inviting people to a spiritual encounter, and so prayer is a powerful way to do it. And then, and then just one, 
uh, one story to wrap up. One of my greatest journeys has been with my family, five, five kids in my family okay. and that I, that I grew up in. And my sister Gretchen became a Christian and invited me to church. Then my sister Lisa became a Christian about a year later. My brother Jason was an intellectual atheist, and he fought the faith for probably 15 years. But we had dozens and dozens of great conversations and times in prayer together. And I shared, my wife and I and other people shared faith with my brother. And he, he's now a worship leader in church, loves Jesus. Wow, praise God. My sister Lisa, who was the second one to become, the third one to become a Christian, uh, does Christian ministry. And the last one was my sister Allison. Allison's the oldest of the kids, and she held out for probably 30 years of resisting Jesus while we loved her and prayed for her and shared with her and did it naturally, and we weren't pushy. But uh, and, and then finally, uh, my sister Allison, I was going to be flying out to be with my family, and uh, my sister Gretchen called me and said, Hey, and we were all praying for, for Allie and praying that she'd come to know Jesus. And Gretchen called me and said, don't bring up Jesus on this trip because Allie is just on the war path. She is really kind of anti-Jesus right now. She's just really hostile. She'd been going to a church, a great Christian church, and she was actually singing in the choir, not a believer. Okay. And the choir was loving her. She loves music. And she was searching and seeking for Jesus. But Gretchen said, she's on the war path. Just don't bring up Jesus or she'll bite your head off, you know. Mm-hmm. But the Holy Spirit was putting on my heart, Kevin, when you, when you get to um, – when you get to Orange County and when you're with Allison, you got to talk to her about Jesus again. So I, I went with the Holy Spirit and I decided not to go with my sister's advice. And, um, and, and I sat with my sister in her car and, and this is what the Holy Spirit put on my heart to ask her. And I'd never asked her this question before because she had said for like the previous four or five months, she said, I don't think it's a matter of if I'll become a Christian. It's just a matter of when that's how open she was. Right. Wow. And so I, God put on my heart to ask her this question. I said, Allie, why are you waiting? What, what are you waiting to happen? What, what are you waiting for? Why, why not now? Mm-hmm. Why are you, if you think you might become a Christian, why not now? And she said to me, she said, I'm afraid. And I said, well, and, and think about this. If somebody says to you, they're afraid, you don't have to have a book to teach you what to say next. You say to them, what are you afraid of? I mean, this isn't complicated stuff, right? Yeah. I said, Ali, what are you afraid of? And she, she told me three things. First, she said, I'm afraid, she said, she said, I know that when a person comes to Jesus and confesses their sins, I know that everyone who's ever come to Jesus and confessed their sins, he's forgiven them. And here's what she said, I'm afraid I'll be the first person that Jesus says no to. Wow. And, and I, I just, uh, man, my, my heart broke and my eyes welled up with tears and I thought, I never imagined she, but that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's the enemy whispering, God's going to tell you no. And so we just talked about it. I said, Ali, he's waiting. He's got his arms open. And we just talked about the love of God. And we kind of got her past that. And I said, is there anything else you're afraid of? And she said, yeah. She said, she said, I'm afraid I'll mess up. And once I become a Christian, I'll do a bunch of wrong things. Hmm. And I said, well, let me help you with that one. <laughs> I said, you will. <laughs> I said, I said, you know, salvation is one thing. Sanctification, that's growing in faith. I said, it's a journey and you're going to stumble and Jesus is going to pick you up. And we just talked about, I said, I'm a pastor and I mess up, man. I said, this is just, but God, and we talked about the grace of Jesus. So we talked about that and she kind of got over that. And I said, is there anything else you're afraid of? And she said to me, she said, and this was really insightful. She said, I'm afraid of what God might ask me to do. Hmm. And she saw me become a pastor and two of my siblings, other siblings going to ministry. Right. Yeah. So she's like, man, I can't even imagine, you know? And, and I said, so I said to her, well, you shouldn't be afraid of that. I said, because you understand if you give your life to Jesus, he, he, you belong to him. And I said, you don't know what he's going to do. I said, that's worth being afraid of. But is that enough to keep you from becoming a Christian? And she said, it's not. 
I said, is there anything else you're afraid of? She said, no. I said, okay, then are you ready to receive Jesus? And she said, I am. <laughs> and we, and I said, do you want me to lead you in a prayer? Or do you want to just, we've been talking to her about Jesus for, for, for years. 30 years. And so yeah. I said, do you want to just pray and confess? Do you want me to lead? She said, I'd like you to lead me in a prayer. And I got to sit there with my, my sister by, by blood and by birth and watch her become my sister in Jesus Christ. It was, it was glorious. It's amazing. And, um, Praise God. And so, but that was a 30 year journey. Yes. And that's, and to me, that's the heart of organic outreach, whether somebody becomes a Christian in 30 minutes or 30 years, we love them. We walk with them. We declare the truth. We keep loving them. We share with them. We tell the story of Jesus. We tell our story, but, but no matter how good we are, there's conversations, there's words that are shared. And it's the story of Jesus that transforms lives. Not my story, not my life. It's Jesus. And we have to declare that. That's awesome. Well, Kevin, this has been such a rich time and uh, just amazing truth and practical truth, which is uh, just what I love about uh, love about your ministry. And we are excited to be uh, for you to be at Go Conference uh, this year, October 26th and 27th. Uh, so to everyone listening to this podcast, make sure to get your tickets, goconference.ca. Kevin Harney is going to be with us. He's going to unpack uh, this even more. And uh, Kevin, you're going to bring some resources as well uh, for people to get. So uh, Kevin's got some great books and resources as well. And pastors, remember, we've got a special session for pastors from 3.30 to 6.30 on the Friday night on October 26th uh, at the GTA East location. So Kevin, thank you again for being on the podcast. And we can't wait to see you here in Toronto next weekend. It's been my honor. And I do want to say, I'll bring some resources, but most of what I've written is free. And so people can go to organicoutreach.org, just organicoutreach.org. And there's no, uh, there's no um, price tag for anything on the website. Videos are free. Curriculum is free. uh, Everything's free. And so go there and, and look at that. And hopefully that'll give people some uh, some motivation to show up and be part of this conference. And I, I just want to say you, you invited people, but there's something about being with other believers That's right. and other leaders and just people who just love Jesus and are, are a part of their church. They want to influence their church. And I think these two days are going to be life-changing. So I want to invite people to come be part of this. I'm honored to be part of it and looking forward to being there. And, uh, and God's going to do some great things. So I look forward to seeing everybody uh, in Toronto on October 26th and 27th. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you so much. God bless you. Well, friends, there you have it. Just an incredible story of God's goodness, God's love that transformed Kevin's life and heart. And uh, just incredible to see what God is doing in and through him. And really, isn't this the story uh, that God has for every one of us, that we would come to know him and that because of our love for him, we would want to share that love with everyone around us uh, beyond programs, beyond events, apart from what the church mandates, uh, that our life will be a light to those who live in darkness. Friends, remember, Kevin will speak in person at Go Conference this year. That's October 26th and 27th. Remember, this year we're doing it at two locations, GTA East and West. We've got over 2,000 registered. You need to be there. GoConference.ca is where you need to go to and uh, reserve your tickets. Also remember to subscribe to this podcast. That way, every time we release a new episode, you'll get it directly. And listen, I appreciate all of you that tune into this uh, podcast and also those of you that write into us. If you want to write into us, it's info at passiontoreach.com is the email. Info at passiontoreach.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Mission Connect podcast. Join us next time for more insights on how you can live out God's mission for your life.